The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and uh, I'm the senior pastor here, and it is great to be with you. Uh, if you are a guest or visitor, uh, we are glad that you're here, glad that you would join us this morning as we uh, gather for worship. and. Uh, this morning is, is a little bit different from where we've been and where we're going because uh, the Advent season's over, right? If you've been with us and you were with us last week, then you know that uh, the season of Advent ended last Sunday, and we are now moving beyond the season of Advent. But, but we're not diving back into where we were before. Uh, that's coming. So uh, next week and for the week after that, we'll return to the book of Joshua for two Sundays as we complete that book. There's two more chapters left, and we don't wanna, uh, I don't want to leave you all hanging for too long. So we'll go back to Joshua, and then after that, we'll begin the Gospel of Mark. And Mark's going to take us basically through almost next year's Advent. So we'll be in Mark for quite some time. Um, so this Sunday, we're in this kind of transition week. Um, after Advent, leading into or returning to our normal rhythm. And as I've been thinking about what to do this Sunday and what are some different, um, different ideas or different passages to consider, what we should be looking at as we uh, take up uh, this uh, move into this new season, uh, the theme that kept coming to my mind is the theme of endurance. And the reason why this came to mind is straight out of our series on Advent. You see, Jesus' return, right? That's what we focus on in Advent. Jesus was coming back. He is coming back. And when he comes back, there will be a renewal of all things, the heavens and the earth. There will be a renewal of us, right? We'll have glorified bodies. We will dwell with him for all time. And it's a glorious thought, right? I mean, when I was thinking about dur during this season, I mean, it, it was probably my favorite Advent series to preach because we're talking about heaven, right? And Jesus' return. And, and so it, it stirs the heart and it enlivens the imagination. And so Sunday after Sunday, I felt this excitement about the return of Jesus. But then Monday comes, right? And Advent's over. And the tree has been taken down, and the lights have been turned off, and we've gone back to work, and students are preparing to go back to school. And it's easy for the glory of Jesus' return to start to fade into the background. Maybe you're experiencing that a little bit. Maybe you've felt that a little bit. You know, this, this idea or this question starts to fill our minds. So if Jesus is returning, which is glorious, it's wonderful, well, what do we do until then? How do we live? How do we work? How do we wait for his return? Especially when we're not talking about his return week in and week out. And so we endure. That's what we do. We persevere. And to look at this idea of endurance, this theme of endurance, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 4. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 4. There are also Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we'll project the passage. You can follow along there. But just for a bit of background, 2 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul, he wrote it to the church at Corinth, and if you know anything about Corinth, then you know that Corinth was a mess. <laughs> it, it, it had all sorts of problems, right? It had issues with immorality, with divisiveness, with factions. It, they had questions about leadership, about worship, about spiritual gifts. They were a mess, 
And so Paul wrote some letters to them, instructing them and encouraging them. And in 2 Corinthians 4, he encourages them towards endurance. Now, endurance isn't something that our hearts are naturally inclined towards, right? Because the very fact that we have to endure something means it's not good, right? Like, I've never heard of someone having to endure a bowl of ice cream, right? We endure the things we don't like, the things we don't enjoy, the things that are hard and difficult, right? Like, think about like this. Say you're out for a run. Maybe you're a runner, and you're going on a long run, and you're miles into it, but, but you're not even halfway there, right? You haven't made the turn to come back home. And, and as you're far, running farther and farther away from home, your knees start to ache. And your calves start to cramp. And your back starts to hurt. And you become winded. And it becomes very clear that you cannot finish this run. In that moment, your thought isn't, I just got to press through this. I just got to push. No, you're, in that moment, what you're thinking is, I hope my wife or husband or friend answers their phone when I call to ask them to pick me up, <laughs> right? Come get me. I don't want to endure this. I don't want to persevere. I want it to end. That's what we're thinking. And even if you're not a runner, you know what that experience is like. You know what that experience is like because we have to endure things in this world, right? When we're confronted by pain and suffering, sadness and grief, injustice and evil, our first thought isn't endure. Our first thought is, when will this end? I wish it was over. But we know that affliction and pain doesn't end simply because we want it to. And so since we know that it's going to keep coming until Jesus returns... We wonder, maybe it's in vain to endure and to persevere. But Paul says it's not. And he writes in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 7, this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would meet with us now, that you would lead us into your truth, that you would be with the one who preaches that my words would be clear, and you'd be with those who hear that we would be attentive to your word. Help us and guide us. Lead us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
So you hear what Paul said in verse 16. He said, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. When confronted by all kinds of issues, problems, and difficulties, we do not lose heart. We endure. So how do we endure? Well, our first thought about enduring, especially difficulty, affliction, problems, our first thought might be that what we need to do is we need to simply ignore the problem. We need to minimize it. We need to push it aside. We need to make light of it so we can get through it. This is kind of like what I would do with my children when they were younger. So as my kids were little and they would scrape their knee or they would stub their toe or they would get a little cut on their finger, they would come to me and Kat and, and you know, these were minor little mishaps. And so, so instead of allowing them to, to start crying, to move into the pain, we would try to get them to move through it, right? As the pain would start to fill their face and the tears would well up in their eyes, we would say, oh, it's not that bad. It's okay. And then I would say to my kids, I would, I would often say, Kat never said this, I would say, love the pain. <laughs> Embrace it. Just push through it. It feels good, doesn't it? Love the pain. And that didn't help them much. So, uh, so then I would change my tactics, and, and I would ask them a question, and I would go, how tough? And they would sheepishly look at me, and they knew the answer, and they would go, too tough. And then, and then I would raise my voice a little bit more, and I would go, how tough? And then finally, they would explode with excitement and go, too tough? And we would laugh like y'all are doing now. And we would get them a Band-Aid, and they would move on and forget that they were ever hurt. Right? We, we just kind of made light of the pain. We made light of the mishap. We made light of what they were going through so that they could get through it. And sometimes I think that's what we think we should do with the different afflictions that we are confronted with in this world. That we simply make light of it, we simply get through it, we simply pretend like it's not that bad, and we move on. But that's not what Paul does. That's not what Paul does. He doesn't ignore or pass over or minimize to forget the affliction. He says, do not lose heart even in the midst of recognizing his afflictions. That's what he does. That he seeks to endure by first recognizing the afflictions that he's experiencing. Right? Earlier in the passage, he said, We are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. You see, enduring and persevering is not ignoring or minimizing. You see, if we were to do that, if we were to make light of the affliction and the pain and the, the, the difficulties that we experience, then I think we would actually be in danger of losing heart. Because the affliction will come. And if we make light of it, when it keeps coming again and again and again, we'll be in danger of losing heart when it arises. And so instead, if we're going to endure, if we're going to persevere until Jesus returns, we need to recognize our afflictions and make room for others to do the same. Nicholas Wolterstorff is a Christian philosopher, and uh, he's a brilliant man, and a number of years ago, his 25-year-old son was killed in a tragic mountain climbing accident. And Wolterstorff, reflecting upon the death of his son and the pain that he was feeling, wrote a little book called Lament for a Son. It's a beautiful book. And in this book, he writes this. He says, the Stoics of antiquity said, be calm disengage yourself. 
neither laugh nor weep. But Jesus says, be open to the wounds of the world. Mourn humanity's mourning. Weep over humanity's weeping. Be wounded by humanity's wounds. Be in agony over humanity's agony. You see, what Wolterstorff is encouraging us is the same as what the Bible encourages us. And that is to recognize our afflictions. And to recognize the afflictions of others and to allow them the space to do so. And friends, of all the places in all the world, it is in the church where this should be a reality. It is in the church where people should feel the freedom and know that they can come and they can mourn and they can grieve and they can express sadness and sorrow and pain and affliction. It should be in the church where this is a reality because it's in the church where we know that things are not the way they should be. And so we, we make space for this. We are a place where people are honest with their burdens and pain and sadness and affliction. You see, to ignore or make light of our afflictions will cause us to despair when they arise again. But we don't just remain there. We don't just remain in our afflictions, in our sadness. We don't just stay there in that place, because to stay there in that place will, will lead us to hopelessness and a dour existence. No, no, we endure by recognizing our afflictions and then moving out of our afflictions by reorienting our perspective. And that's what we see Paul doing. He's reorienting our perspective. We saw it in this passage, right? What did he call them? Light and momentary. Light and momentary. Now, now I don't know about y'all, but uh, that at first sound sounds very cold and insensitive. Light and momentary? I mean, is the, the struggles that you've experienced, the pains that you've felt, the afflictions that you have lived through, would you call those things light? Or, or momentary? I mean, think about the things that you have been through and, and the, the, the scars that many of us bear on our souls, right? And, and a word, a, a conversation, a memory can take us back to those places. And, and in those times, they don't feel momentary, do they? They feel like they are enduring forever. And so we hear Paul call them light and momentary. And it seems callous and insensitive. But then we remember what we know about Paul. And if it were anyone else saying that, then it might be callous. But, but do you remember Paul's life? Do you remember what he experienced? I mean, Paul did not have an entitled life of ease. In 2 Corinthians 11, he recounts some of the things that he had experienced and been through. He says that he was imprisoned and he was beaten often near to death. Five times he received 39 lashes. In that day, they believed that 40 lashes would kill a man. So think about that. They were bringing a man to the cusp of death and then stopping. Five times, 39 lashes. Three times beaten by rods. He had been stoned, shipwrecked, adrift at sea, in danger from rivers, robbers, Jews and Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. He had hungered and he thirsted. That is a man who knew affliction. His entire ministry, he experienced opposition and affliction. And yet he calls it momentary and light. 
How can he do that? Well, it's because of the perspective that he has. You see, Paul weighs his life against what awaits. That's what we see in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see, Paul is reorienting our understanding. He's reorienting our understanding, and he does so by pointing us to glory. Right? That's what he said. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I love that he called it that, right? He didn't just say heaven's out there. He didn't just say there's a better day. He doesn't say that all this will one day pass. He calls it an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's a beautiful phrase. I mean, that language of weight, it's not simply about heavy and light. No, it's, it's more akin to the weight of a scale. And that which was in the scale, that which is heavier, it was of more value, and, and it created pleasure in the one who possessed it. That is the weight of glory. It's of great value, of greater value than anything else in this world. Beyond all comparison, beyond description. And so Paul is contrasting light and momentary versus eternal and waiting. This is why this perspective that Paul has, this is why earlier he could say that he's been afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. See, what allows us to endure? What allows us to endure through affliction and sadness in this age? It's not simply gritting our teeth. It's not digging down deep into our own strength. No, it's the promise of the glory to be revealed. A promise so great, so valued, so weighty that everything else in comparison is momentary and light. Paul is pointing us to glory. He's reorienting our perspective by pointing us to resurrection Look at verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring with us, with us, with, bring us with you into his presence. So Paul's pointing to the resurrection of Christ. And, and I'm not going to belabor this point because we've been talking about the resurrection. We've been talking about our resurrection for the last number of weeks. But, but the point is, is that when Jesus went to the cross and he died on our behalf, he took our sins upon himself, it was buried and rose again from the dead, we were united to him. We were united to him, not just in his death, but also in his resurrection. So that his resurrection becomes a foretaste of our future resurrection. That his resurrection with this glorious body it is the first fruits of what our resurrection will be. So that our bodies which are wasting away, that's what he said in verse 16, right? Our bodies which are wasting away, and, and we don't need convincing of that. We know that they're wasting away. Our bodies that are wasting away will one day be resurrected. New glorious bodies. He's reorienting our perspective. Right? He's reorienting our perspective, pointing us to Christ's resurrection, pointing us to glory, and pointing us to renewal. You see it in the other half of verse 16. So we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You see, as we wait for these new bodies, as our bodies are are wasting away, our inner selves are being renewed. Our hearts and minds and souls are being renewed. And we know this, don't we? I mean, we, if we just take a little bit of time to consider our lives and consider where we are and where we have been, don't we see this renewal, this work of Christ in our lives? I mean, think about it. Think about, think about your life. Think about who you were months ago, years ago, and think about who you are now and the ways in which the Lord has grown you and matured you and made you more and more like Christ. I mean, I, I've seen it in you, that maturing I've heard it in the stories that you've told of who you once were and who you are now. I've seen it in my own life. How we were once miserly, but now we're generous. How we were once arrogant, but now we're humble. How we used to use words to cut people down, but now we use them to build others up. How we were once selfish, but now we are serving. I mean, we see those changes in our lives, don't we? The work of Christ in us, renewing us day by day. Now, I know that if, if we're sitting across a table from one another and I talked about how humble you were, how generous you were, you would probably say, well, Penny, uh, I'm glad that I've had you convinced, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm sure that you would think of all the ways that you're not humble, all the, all the pride, right? All the, all the ways that you want to cling to things for yourself, all the ways that you don't want to serve and give of yourself. And, and that would be true of you, and it's true of me, right? That there's more renewal needed, but renewal has begun. Renewal has begun. And that is the evidence of Christ working in us that he is renewing us and preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. That is how we endure. That is how we persevere. And these three things that Paul is pointing us to, these three things, did you notice these are three things that God does to us? They're not things we do on our, on our own, right? The renewal of, of our being. It is God who renews us. The resurrected body, it's God who will raise us up. The glory to be revealed, it is God who will bring that glory to bear. It is him doing this. You see, endurance shows us that the power to endure belongs to God, not to us. And I've seen that at work in, in people's lives. And in the life of Johnny Erickson Tata, maybe y'all are familiar with that name. Johnny Erickson Tata is, is a Christian woman, a writer, and a speaker. And she's also confined to a wheelchair and has been for decades. She suffered a tragic accident and is now a quadriplegic. And in a talk that she was once giving about heaven, about the new heavens and the new earth, about the eternal weight of glory that will one day be revealed, she says that when she gets to heaven, she wants to take her wheelchair with her. Now, she wants to take her wheelchair, not so that she will sit in it. Now, she has a very robust theology about the new heavens and new earth. She knows that on that day, she'll actually stand before the Lord with new resurrected legs 
and they will be strong and she'll have the working of her hands again. No, she wants her wheelchair there, not so that she will sit in it in eternity, but she says she wants her wheelchair there because I'd like to park it before the throne. Look into Jesus's eyes and say to him, Lord, I sat in that thing over three decades. And Jesus, the weaker I was in this thing, the harder I leaned on you. But the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. Those are beautiful words of one who knows affliction and endurance. Who in the midst of her affliction doesn't minimize it, doesn't pass it away, doesn't, doesn't pretend like it's not there, but, but recognizes it and endures in the midst of it. Those are the words of one who is looking to Christ's resurrection and knows the renewal of her inner self and is looking forward to the glory that one day will come. And those could be our words. Not about a wheelchair but about God's preserving and enduring us through the afflictions of this life. So that as we wait for Jesus to return, it's his resurrection, it's the glory to be revealed, it's the renewal that's taking place that motivates and empowers us to endure. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Thank you that you, Lord Jesus, have given us the strength to endure. It is not our strength, it is not our power, it is not us working in and by ourselves, but it is you working in and through us. And so we pray that in the midst of our afflictions, we would acknowledge them for what they are and we would turn our eyes to you. That we would look forward to the day when you, Lord Jesus, will return and we will rise with you and the renewal you have begun will be complete. And so until that day, we ask, turn our gaze to you. Strengthen us so that we would endure. And we pray all this in Christ's name and God's people said together, amen.